Thank you so much. Good morning. So let's take our Bibles together now. We're going to turn, find our way to Second Chronicles in chapter 14. We're going to be looking today at verse 2, and we're going to make our way into chapter 15 and verse 7. I'm hoping that even some of the events of this week are going to be put in perspective in light of what we're going to be looking at, studying, processing together, because you and I are about to see Judah under attack. And as Judah is under attack, one of the great challenges that you and I are going to find in these verses is the number of times in which people are being called to search the Lord, seek the Lord. Five times in these verses, from chapter 14, verse 2, into chapter 15, verse 7, you and I are being informed that one of the key marks of spiritual growth is the willingness to seek the Lord. So I'm going to begin reading now in verse 2 of this 14th chapter. And for the sake of the reading, I'm going to take it down to the 15th verse, though we'll make our way in our study into chapter 15 as well. So now as we look into God's word, here you and I are found, find these words. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah, here it comes, to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, And the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. And so they built and prospered. Asa had an army of 300,000 men with Judah, equipped with large shields and with spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and with bows. And all these were brave fighting men. Now Zer the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army and three hundred chariots and came as far as Marisha. And Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah near Marisha. And then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come up against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. The Lord struck 
down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. They destroyed all the villages around Gerar, for the terror of the Lord had fallen upon them. They plundered all these villages, since there was much booty there, and they also attacked the camps of the herdsmen and carried off droves of sheep and goats and camels, and then they returned to Jerusalem. So we're going to be looking at these words. We're going to be looking at still more words after these words, but in order to do this, let's turn to the word, the Lord, and ask God's guidance. And Father, what we want to do now is to calm these restless hearts. We need to start focusing our attention. We've lifted praise to you. We've given the tithes and offerings that you own to you. Now, our Father, what we want to do is to hear from you. And the source is your word, and the source is that which you've inspired. And what we want to do is to treat it with respect and honor it for the fact that it conveys what you intend. So, Lord, now, no matter what the issues are that we bring into our worship service, you understand them more thoroughly than we ever will. You know the burdens we might have for loved ones, people in our circle of relationships, Father, where we are continuously praying for the Holy Spirit to be operative in that mind, in that heart, in that soul. You know the health issues that some of us face, the financial difficulties others of us are challenged by. You know the highs, you know the lows, and you know the state of our souls. And for those that have come into one of these services, not having put faith and trust in Christ, we're praying for a powerful divine initiative of grace operative now leading that person to you. So warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Because again, Father, we've come here now to see Jesus, and Him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Ann Curry, who has been tied to the NBC Today Show for many years, was asked in a recent interview to talk about some of the most memorable times that she has sat in front of a camera talking with other individuals. She describes the time in which the ex-Beatle, George Harrison, had died. And a writer from Rolling Stone magazine was sitting with her, and they were recounting Harrison's life. Curry said, Apparently, Harrison was the most spiritual of the group, the Beatles. George Harrison, the quiet Beatle, she said, 
as she now quoted him, everything else in my life can wait. But the search for God cannot wait. Unquote. Now, as I pondered those words, my mind began to rush through the Scriptures. No one seeks, no one searches for God, Paul writes in Romans chapter 3, of course, in verse 11. Yet at the same time, we have a God who searches us out. In the Genesis account, Adam and Eve are not seekers, they're fleers. They're running from God's presence, and it's God who does the seeking. What you and I find now is that there's this tremendous tension described in the Scriptures between searching and fleeing that I want to draw out for us here. But in addition, what you and I will find is that for those who many a times are supposed supposed seekers, there's a difference between truly seeking God and being one who is simply seeking benefits from God and have turned the benefits into a false God. The idolatry of benefits from God rather than the authenticity of truly putting faith in God. So what we're going to do now is to start to work this tension out before our very eyes, and we're going to try to understand better the distinctives that are involved in this whole matter of the search, because as God had pointed out to Solomon in chapter 7 of this book, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people, not those people, no, not this. He's talking about Christians, talking about believers who are the searchers. If my people who are called by my name will, what? Humble themselves and pray, and here it comes, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So now if you're looking over the landscape globally, nationally, regionally, and are praying God do a work of healing, One of the four stipulations that I've just read is to seek God's face. Now, this chapter deals with still another one of the stipulations that are marked out in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14. You and I are called upon to seek God's face in our lives. Five times now in the verses you and I are about to work through, the idea of seeking or searching will appear. And what we want to do now is to develop this and think it through and ask, practically speaking, how does this relate to our everyday living? There are three significant marks of the one who does biblical seeking, 
who responds to the initiative of God searching us out, and therefore, as a result of God's sovereign grace, we now seek his face. The first is found in verse 2, down to verse 7, and we're going to phrase it like this, that as we seek the Lord, number one, we remove spiritual idols and experience God's peace. Now, what I'm going to be arguing for here is that if you are lacking peace, if there's this tremendous sense of unrest within your own soul, or if you've got loved ones, friends, colleagues, co-workers who lack peace and there's tremendous unrest in their souls, ask whether or not there is a form of spiritual idolatry that has somehow crept in and demanded certain amounts of space within your heart. Because the heart is an idol factory. Beginning in verse 2 now, you and I are informed that Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He's the first of eight significant kings subsequent to the breakup of the, of the nation who does right in God's eyes. He'll start off well. As we'll note next week, he will end poorly. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. But what I want you to see here about the individual who is truly one who searches the face of the Lord is this. He or she will remove anything from heart, mind, or soul that stands as a rival to God, that stands as a counterfeit to true spirituality, that serves as a competitor to God's complete loyalty on our behalf, what Asa will now do is to take the initiative of removing spiritual idolatry from the mindset and from the eyesight of the Israelite people so they can experience true peace. He, not God, in verse 3, Remove the foreign altars and the high places, which were in essence established during the days of Solomon. Notice furthermore that you and I are told here that he smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. And you say, well, Guy, haven't spotted any sacred stones lately on my way to work. Help me out with that one. Those were memorials that were established in the land of Judah during those days to honor false gods. The Asherah poles were significant because as the Jews, as they came into the land of Canaan, found that the fertility cult, the goddess Asherah, was worshipped there. Solomon allowed for these Asherah poles to remain. As a result now, here is a man who is bent on seeking the face of God, Asa, who is now determined to destroy these Asherah poles because he desires exclusive loyalty to God. Now let's make this very practical. What is it that God is calling upon you and me to do to remove from our own hearts and minds and souls 
so that we might offer exclusive loyalty to God. Stephen Olford was the senior pastor of Calvary Baptist Church. Great Englishman. He's pastored today by, interestingly, the brother of Kathy Lee Gifford. It's a powerful ministry in the heart of New York City. One day, Ophir was standing in front of the congregation and began to recount an experience that he had seen in, in England. There was a young girl, father, family. They were all part of the church he pastored. And one day, with the fire roaring in the fireplace and the family gathered around, the little girl was fingering these fake pearls around her neck that she had received as a gift from her father the prior year. As she was warming herself up near that fireplace, her father stood up with hands behind his back, and she said, Honey, do you love me? She said, Yes, Daddy. Then he said, What I'd like you to do is to take off those pearls and throw them into the fireplace. There was a lesson she was about to learn. She hemmed and she hawed. He said, honey, you do love me. Well, slowly she took off that little gift she had received and threw it into the fireplace, whereupon her father then pulled out his hands from behind his back and placed real pearls around her neck. If we truly love God, we've got to remove that which is superficial and artificial in order to truly experience that which is real and lasting and of highest value. What is it that God has called upon you to release your grip of? in order to truly experience that which God wants to give you. Because so often we allow these stones and these ashra poles to crowd out within our souls that which is authentic and real. And God breaks in, and He sometimes allows a sense of unrest within our own personal experience so that we are forced to release that which otherwise we would want to retain in order to truly obtain that which otherwise we would not ever have received. Notice then that what God is calling upon Asa to do here is to form, develop a strategy of biblical destructive ministry, the removing, the taking down, of that which was crowding God out, in order then for stage two, a constructive ministry, in order to build up what was meant to be so that they could experience all that God wanted to give. Because after all this was cut down, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord. Do you see it there in verse 4? He did not make this command until the landscape was now cleansed 
of everything that would speak of rivalry and competition with God. Now they're prepared. So now the question is, what is God doing? Is he removes stuff from your life? Are you prepared now to seek the Lord? Because after the destructive comes the constructive. And they work hand in hand, and both are elements of grace at work. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places, incense altars, in every town in Judah. The kingdom of God was mocked this now, at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah, since the land was at peace. Twice the word shalom in Hebrews used here, to describe the result of allowing God to use the twofold movement of grace of destructive which precedes constructive in order for God to give you that which is real rather than that which is phony. Harrison Ford, who's playing Branch Rickey in the new movie in the theater, is 42. In a recent interview, was talking about his own personal experiences. In particular, fame and wealth. Ford said, quote, you only want what you do not have, unquote. The reporter pressed him further by asking Harrison, what do you not have? Ford paused and then muttered, Peace. I think of what's happening this past week. And now you and I look very carefully at what is occurring globally and nationally. And then make it very personal. And ask ourselves, have we allowed for the heart idol factory, to so produce counterfeit gods that God has had to disrupt status quo so that we might better understand where true peace is found. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding and comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote. And the word God was used in that day and age of the Philippians as a sentinel who would walk upon the wall of the city, the walled city, during the heart of the night so they could sleep because there was a sentinel on duty. The believer understands that we've got a sentinel on duty. It's God. What we have to do is to rid the landscape of our souls of anything that produces counterfeits to God, competitors to God, rivals to God, and allow for the exclusive God to reign supreme in our lives because this is exactly what God was saying to Solomon regarding the four stipulations for spiritual revival individually and nationally 
among other things, we are to seek the face of God. So as we seek the Lord, number one, we remove spiritual idols and experience God's peace. And we see it in verses 2 through 7. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah. Put walls around them with towers, gates, bars. The land is still ours because we have what? Sought the Lord our God. Sodom, and he has given us rest on every side, and so they built and prospered. Now, what I want you to do is to join me now in coupling that first mark of seeking the face of God with this second mark. The number two, as we seek the Lord, we rely upon God's strength and mercy. And what I want you to do now, because this is highly relative to this past week, as well as to our own personal lives, is to inch forward together and ponder now the timing of what's about to occur here. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah. It's a lot. Equipped with large shields and spears. They're big. 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and with bows. All these were brave fighting men. You see it there in verse 8. Notice then now that what has happened is this. (coughs) Judah is well fortified. Judah appears to be strong. Judah appears to be able to say we are secure. Look what happens next. Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army and 300 chariots and came as far as Marishah. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah near Marishah. What I want you to see here now is the timing by which God's people are going to be called to rely upon God, And ask yourself now, why did God permit this at this time? God waited until they had fortified the cities. Zerah does not attack prior to the fortification of the cities. Zerah attacks subsequent to the fortification of the cities. For the person who thought that they were secure... What they're about to find out is that unless you rely upon the Lord, you are so vulnerable. If they put their trust, if they put their faith in their own fortifications, they will be in for a rude awakening when reality breaks in and shakes up the status quo of tranquility. And it happens. And it happens. Reading from the Boston Globe and pondering what they would have to say. Thomas Whalen, political historian at Boston University. We've been a calm island in a sea of trouble. We think of this as something that happens somewhere else. 
And now it's happened here. And now it could very well be that Judah is saying to themselves, didn't we tear down the Asherah poles? Didn't we remove the idols? We've sought the Lord and now we're being attacked? Here's the rub. God wants to make absolutely certain that they don't turn their army into an idol. They have now established a strong presence militarily. And so how are they attacked? Militarily. And they find themselves so vulnerable that in verse 11, you and I find a a formula, a guideline, if you will, as to how to come before God when we feel so vulnerable in life. And then Asa called to the Lord his God. He didn't call for the commanders of the army. Asa called to the Lord his God, personal, and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. He's already demonstrated the exclusivity of God. There's no one else like you. He's being tested. The moment you build up a fortress, medically, financially, relationally, it's very important to realize those can become the new idols of life. Are you able to say, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty? Here comes the petition. Help us, O Lord, our God. Mark this. We rely on you. Not upon the military. We rely on you and your name. We've come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let any man prevail against you. This week, Larry Waston sent me an email, and I called him just to make sure I could read this. Got the blessing. Gary, I wanted to share something with you. I received an email today from a woman in Cleveland, Ohio. I think I've told you about it before, how her husband left her for another woman, and is now seeking to divorce her and offload their two children both of whom have special needs. Through all of his evil behavior, she has treated him with the love and respect she vowed when they married and has adopted an eternal perspective by God's grace. She wants him to have eternal life, and to her nothing is more important. In order to see and follow God's plan and God's timing, she's asked for my financial and spiritual advice, equal parts of both, and has also consulted with my mother, who's faced similar things in prior years. Jane and I had a two-hour phone conversation Wednesday to prepare her financially and spiritually for a financial settlement conference that was supposed to be today. I asked her to read John 11 and get the sense of Jesus' deep compassion for those who are suffering. 
even as he knows they will soon be suffering no more. So powerfully portrayed in that chapter. This morning, after I prayed for her to have a calm spirit and a discerning mind, I emailed her and told I had done that and asked her to read 1 Peter 5, 6-11. She answered me a bit later, thanking me for the encouragement and let me know the conference had been postponed due to her attorney's belief that there is too much financial deception. She said she got an unexpected call from her husband yesterday, and that loving him through that call was yet another test. But that when he told her that she was crazy to believe God was going to take care of her and the kids... She knew that not only had she passed the test, but that God was revealing to her that she was in his will through the call. And then she made this profound announcement. I put before me, moment by moment, the realization that God has already given me calmness and clarity. I must accept it with open hands, that have let go of all of my fears. Unquote. Astounding. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. And God steps in. God steps in. He passed the test. How are you being tested? What fortresses are you building up? Removing the landscape of anything opposed to God in your heart, soul, mind. Seeking Him. And now all of a sudden the unexpected has occurred. Have you embraced the Asa principle here? If so, you and I are ready then for this third significant mark. It's found in chapter 15, 1 through 7. As we seek the Lord thirdly, we refresh ourselves with God's presence, verses 1 through 7. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa. God has a way of affirming us after the fact when we pass the test. And said to him, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. So now everybody is listening in. Would you mark this in your Bible? This is profound, what comes next. The Lord is with you when you are with him. There's your promise. It's conditional. There's your promise. 
It's tangible. It's the presence of God. It's the voice of reassurance. If you seek Him, there's that word again, He'll be found by you. But if you forsake Him, He'll forsake you. But now He moves from the promise given to the past reviewed, launches into the story of the days of the people in the book of Judges, For a long time, now I want you to notice very carefully and mark what comes next, there is an absence of three significant forms of ministry in their lives. Critically important in the United States of America today. For a long time, Israel was what? Number one, without the true God. Number two, without a priest to teach. In other words, there was not an instructional teaching community that emphasized the Word of God. And number three, without the law, the Word of God. They had substituted, opted for alternatives. But in verse 4, in their distress, they turned to the Lord the God of Israel, and what mocked this? Sought him, and he was found by them. In those days it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the lands were in great turmoil. Now ponder this past week. One nation was being crushed by another, one city by another, Because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. Why? Because God loves them. And God will use loving distress so that people will remove the spiritual idolatry on the landscape of the heart, seek the Lord, test us to make absolutely certain that we are not building up fortresses, which are going to be simply new forms of idols, but rather allowing God to be God, the sovereign, exclusive one over our lives. They turned to the Lord. They sought the Lord. He was found. And so now what we've got to ask ourselves is, in what way has God been troubling? Disturbing the status quo globally, nationally. Locally. And what should be our response? But as for you, he says, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. And as we seek the Lord, we refresh ourselves with his what? With God's presence. I referenced earlier the movie 42. Harrison Ford plays Branch Rickey in it. Let me tell you a little bit of Jackie Robinson. I remember reading his biography when I was in grade school. African-American, broke the color barrier in professional baseball, 
received a steady barrage of death threats. When he stepped out onto the field in a particular game, the booing was so loud it became difficult for the game to proceed. So you know what happened? Brooklyn Dodgers, Jackie Robinson playing second at that time. The shortstop's name was Pee Wee Reese. Unbeknownst to Robinson, Pee Wee Reese moved towards second base, walked up behind Jackie Robinson, then stood shoulder to shoulder with Jackie Robinson. And a quietness filled the air. Later, Robinson said, I sensed his presence. I sensed his presence. I would have quit baseball that very day if Pee Wee had not done what he did. And God breaks in. And we're blessed with his presence. And that's what happens when the people who respond to the God who seeks are willing to seek the Lord and not run from him. As George Harrison put it, everything else in life can wait, but the search for God cannot wait. But let's make absolutely certain that we're seeking the true God and not merely settling for seeking the benefits from God. Let's stand together. And if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then while I hear from heaven will forgive their sin and will heal from their land. May we be a congregation, Father, that embraces the seeking of your face, honor you with our lives. Remove the spiritual landscape of any idolatry found within our hearts. Withstand those unexpected attacks and realize that there are times we will be tested. And we thank you, Father, for the presence of God who ministers to us at our point of need. And for this we give you the praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.